Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S. Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Samoz, and I'm here with my ultimately esteemed, fantastic PBBI co-director, co, uh, co-Palkus uh, director, no, if, Denise Borges. <laughs> if you have to think about the adjectives, it doesn't count. So uh, thank <laughs> no, you so no, much, no. Angela. It's an honor for me to be with the uh, the most cherished and most awesome um, chairperson <laughs> in the universe and beyond. It's kind of, it's kind of it's, a thing we have between yeah, each other here every, a, day, every time, every every sorry. every podcast. But uh, before we get started, I do must say that uh, Palkus has been uh, a very different organization in the last few years. And uh, kudos to you, Angela. Thank you very much. Um, and actually, kudos to the entire Palkus director team because we have a lot of new sure. blood and a lot of people doing some great things. So today we have two firsts with one person. We have our first judge and our first interviewee from South Carolina. So we are thrilled to welcome Judge Michelle Patron Forsyth, who is a family court judge in the Ninth Circuit for the South Carolina judicial system. Did I get that right, <laughs> Judge Forsyth? Pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> well, welcome. We are really excited to, to speak with you today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So as we do with all of our guests, if you could just give a little bit of your background. And I know you're a first generation. So did you start in South Carolina or how did you kind of end up there? And, and then we'll talk about your path to becoming a judge. Sure. Well, I, I didn't start in South Carolina. I was born in Newark, New Jersey in the Ironbound where uh, nice. most yeah, most people speak at least back in the 70s spoke either Portuguese or Spanish and English was on a limited basis. So that's where I was born and we moved to right outside of Washington DC in Silver Spring, Maryland. That's where I was raised and I uh, met my husband who was from South Carolina while I was working in Maryland, we got married and decided to move to his home state, South Carolina. And I've lived in Charleston, South Carolina for almost 25 years. Nice. Uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. There's another kind of a smaller Portuguese community there, but we do have a, a, a great restaurant there, uh, Tavita, if I remember correctly. So talk a little bit about you know, South Carolina and how, you know, you got on this path to becoming a judge. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about later on the burgeoning Portuguese community that's happening in South Carolina. But um, what, what made you decide to become a judge or, or what was your path there? Well, I really became a judge by product of encouragement and mentorship. I went to law school here when I moved here. I had been working for the uh, Department of Defense right outside of Washington, D.C. I had to leave that job when I got married. And so coming to South Carolina was sort of, sort of starting over in a lot of ways. 
And I decided to go to law school. At the time, there was only one law school in our state, which is in Columbia in the capital. And I um, started on that pathway. One of the things that was sort of unusual for the time anyway is that I was multilingual. So as an attorney, I really had the opportunity to work with people from all paths of life. And as you can imagine, the Portuguese community really is extremely small, but I was able to work with a lot of folks from Brazil and Spanish speaking, the Spanish speaking community as well as an attorney. So becoming a judge came from two judges that were really instrumental in my even taking on the idea of running for judge. And in South Carolina, we are elected by the General Assembly. Unlike most other states, I think we're only one of two. We have to run uh, with <laughs> with the idea that there's only a hundred and in our state, 170 constituents who are willing to vote for us. So it's a very different mechanism in terms of how you run for this office. You're not appointed, you're elected, but by a very small, exclusive group of people. And if I may ask, if we uh, go back in time a little bit, getting involved, of course, in going into law school and even before, of course, getting into education, we find as we have these dialogues with different Portuguese Americans of various generations, whether they be immigrants or first, second, or even third generations, but mostly in first generations, we find that uh, sometimes uh, in some families, there's been an encouragement to, to go to school, to get involved. And in some families, it has not. Your connections to Portugal and your family heritage in Portugal, uh, how did that play a role in your education? How do you feel that played a role? I think it played a huge role. So my family is in Portugal and Brazil, and people would go back and forth between those two countries. But specifically, my mother was born in Portugal, and uh, she didn't make it past the fourth grade because in the 1940s, education wasn't compulsory after the fourth grade in Portugal. And I don't believe my father ever graduated from high school either. So for them, coming to the United States meant opportunity that was very limited at the time in Portugal. And um, education meant everything. And I remember when I was graduating from college and telling my mother that I wasn't ready to pursue any other form of education. As you can imagine, she was she was very angry. Uh, and she didn't even speak to me for about two months after that. <laughs> and so she was really committed. That's very sure. committed. Yes. So when I told my parents after I got married that I was going to law school, they were very encouraging. It's very foreign to them, just trying to navigate education uh, with limited language capabilities that they had. You know, all of this was a totally different experience, but they believe and still believe that education was the key to success. And I think they were right. Indeed. And uh, has um, 
as you said, uh, when you graduated uh, from uh, college uh, or from when you graduated, you didn't know if you were going to continue what you were going to do at first. What what prompted you to go into law? Uh, what was the, was there a calling from early on, or was it something that just came on? Um, ironically, uh, some of my cousins who actually are members of Palkis too, Manuel Geraldo and Cynthia Marx. Um, oh, they, small world. Yes, yes. Know that. They, <laughs> so Cynthia Marx is my godmother, and Manuel Manny is my cousin. For uh, all cousins, actually, and. They were both l- lawyers. I actually worked one summer for Manny, and I thought there's no way I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so <That's awesome. laughs> um, it was. It, it appeared very stressful. It was intensive. Uh, it just didn't appeal to me at the time. But when I moved to South Carolina, by then I had already worked in Washington D.C and felt sort of driven to expand my knowledge base. And I thought maybe law school was the way to go. It was really a, a little accidental that I went down that pathway. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a first-generation American. It didn't really occur to me that I could be a judge. It really never occurred to me. I never thought that that was an opportunity that I could reach for or even try. But certainly I was blessed and South Carolina has been great at providing me opportunities. And this was something that was a wonderful opportunity to serve a community and also continue in my profession. And indeed, in the in the law profession, and of course, uh, on the bench, uh, especially, uh, although we see, uh, especially uh, in the uh, high power judges that are known to us, you know, the Supreme Court, we see more and more women, but it's something that has not been traditionally a stronghold for women, uh, especially 35, 40 years ago, uh, and even longer than that. It's something that's changed both in law school. Now we see many, many more women, but uh, in uh, in practicing law and in, of course, in, as judges uh, also, and very few Portuguese American women go to law as uh, as as our numbers tell us. Anyway, we have more and more. Obviously, in the last ten years, things have changed. But do you see that? Uh, the entire society is changing independently of the ethnicity, independently of the Portuguese connection that uh, the we're changing in that uh, there are more and more opportunities for women now in law. I absolutely agree with that, especially in South Carolina. I know that there are a lot of misconceptions about our small Southern state. But we have a lot of women who are lawyers. I think our law schools, both, there's a new, fairly new law school in Charleston. Uh, they're, you know, about evenly split between male and female. And there's a real encouragement for women to go into the legal profession and to expand their horizons. So I have seen that change from when I started law school, you know, over 20 years ago and into today. And I see the change in ethnicity too. I certainly have seen in both law schools in our state, a a real opening to people from all walks of life, 
people who come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. And I think those dynamics are definitely changing and have certainly changed from when I first went to law school. And sometimes we get to this, or usually we get to this question towards the end, but I, I think it fits here, you know, talking about more women getting into to law and, and being represented uh, as judges. What would be your advice to young Portuguese American women out there who are considering, you know, there, there's probably quite a few considering the law, but maybe had never considered the path to becoming a judge. What would be your advice to those, those women? Um, that's a really good question. I would say really be who you are. I think that's, that's the piece of advice that I got when I started running for my seat. As you can imagine, there isn't a very large Portuguese community in South Carolina. There was for a time a fairly sizable Brazilian community. And, you know, so a lot of a lot of people don't really understand maybe where Portugal is, what is the connection to other countries, and they have a lot of questions. Just be open about answering those questions. Be open about answering that you're, you know, you're the child of immigrants or you are an immigrant Mm -hmm. Um, and embrace the fact that you come to the table with different experiences. I think that when I was younger, it may have been something that I was shy about and didn't really want to talk about, whereas now I'm happy to answer all kinds of questions from people who, who might ask. It's interesting that you mentioned you were shy about that because it seems that your uh, multilingual abilities has has served you so well in your career. It was there like a moment in time where you kind of realized, oh, I don't have to be shy about this anymore because this is actually going to benefit me. Or was it more of a gradual realization? Yes, I think it was a gradual realization. My husband is from South Carolina, born and raised, probably had never really known about Portugal. (laughs) 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 Doesn't really speak another language. So he was really in for some, a little bit of culture shock, you know, between my Portuguese family and my Brazilian family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my father and I both speak Spanish as well. And my father has a a Spanish connection as well. So there's a a lot that goes into the dynamics there. But I think that when I was much younger growing up, I was more reluctant to talk about where my family was from. I think society has certainly opened up and is more interested in different backgrounds and and Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. from different ethnicities. And I think over time, I've become far more open uh, about talking about it. Interestingly enough, when I was running for judge, I was asked that question quite a bit. And I remember answering it by saying, you know, when it comes to the World Cup, I've got a lot of problems. I never know who to cheer for. (laughs) And that brought a lot of laughs. Yeah. Assuming you know about soccer, sure. right? um, <laughs> but it, it 
brought a lot of laughs. And I mean, that's just sort of where we are in society today. So I, I embrace it now. Whereas when I was younger, I might've been a little bit reluctant to discuss it. Right. If we look at, of course, your uh, your career and then into family courts, uh, and you've talked a little bit about that, but and as much as you can, of course, talk about it here on, on, on the podcast and in public, uh, what are some of the challenges that uh, that as a family court uh, judge one faces, and and some of the uh, gratifications as well? We actually we actually have a, a predecessor of yours who's been retired for many years, Judge William Silveta Jr. here. Uh, in California, was a Superior Court judge and ended up, you know, last few years in family court. He found it gratifying. So, uh, and that it's kind of interesting. So, um, what what are some of the challenges and some of the uh, and some of the gratifications of uh, being presiding over family court? Well, first of all, I'd love to meet Judge Silveda. <laughs> uh, yeah, we need to we need to get him to uh, we need to get both of you to connect. He's in his eighties now, has been retired for quite a few years. Also, such as yourself, uh, actually a second generation. It was his grandparents who immigrated. He okay. was uh, one of the very first Portuguese in the nineteen fifties to go to UC, University of California, Berkeley, and has a wonderful story. Wow. Well, I think so. The way that family court works in South Carolina. It's a little different from other states. We handle cases, private custody actions. We also handle cases of abuse, neglect of children. We also look at juvenile delinquency. So juveniles that are charged with criminal charges. So it's a very broad spectrum of cases. So first and foremost, it is never dull. And there is always something interesting. One of the most, I think, rewarding points of this type of work is watching youth come into the juvenile justice system and seeing some of those success stories. And ultimately, because it is family court, you know, we we see the family, we see the parents, and it's just sometimes really heart-wrenching when kids are struggling and they come into the system, not just with uh, criminal charges, but also have been products of the system in abuse or neglect cases. But it's very rewarding to see children come out on the other side and, and find success, get out of the juvenile justice system and graduate. You know, I, I had a parent contact me recently telling me that her son had graduated and he wanted her to make sure that I knew he had graduated from high school. I always stress education with the youth and and to get that kind of feedback that a young person even cares what I think is just enormously rewarding. As if they know that I care and they come out of the other side of that process, knowing that somebody cares, I just think that that means the world. And I hope to continue to be able to do that work. Uh, As a parent, I have to say, it takes an incredibly special person to be able to withstand the, the heartbreak that you must experience in seeing some of these cases, but then, you know, pushing through to do exactly what you just talked about, that you can uh, help these kids, you know, get through this experience and be, and come out of it on the other end, knowing that somebody cares 
and that they do have a future. So thank you for the work that you're doing because uh, it's, it definitely takes a special person. And I personally don't know that I would have the the stomach for it um, or the heart because I would just come home crying every day, I think. But um, <laughs> so thank you very much for, for doing the work that you do. It's amazing. Well, thank you. I, I just consider it a real privilege to be able to do it. And it, it is hard some days um, and I'm not going to pretend that I don't come home crying some days, Yeah, but um, it's, it's definitely worth it. That was going to be my, my kind of question. How do you distance yourself from it? How do you, you know, how do you, how do you balance uh, that, uh, that uh, very fine line? With difficulty. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> uh, I think that you have to be able to look at, cases with some sensibility, understand that ultimately it boils down to the rule of law and only take that into consideration. There are a lot of human elements and components that a family court judge, in no, no matter what area they're in, has to really take into consideration. I think all judges really but at the end of the day, it really boils down to the rule of law. And that's what you you have to remind yourself of. If we could just shift gears uh, a little bit to something a little more uh, uh, light, <laughs> if you will. Sure. Um, <laughs> we just have a few more minutes in our podcast. And, and we would be remiss if we didn't ask you about the Portuguese community in South Carolina. So you said that there, there had been... Uh, a substantial Brazilian community there, you know, is there still a Brazilian community there? And are you, you seeing more Portuguese move into the area? Um, because I personally, I feel like in the last month I've heard of at least four or five people that are moving there or, you know, have bought a vacation home there and, and have plans to retire there. And that I think there's a new restaurant, Portuguese restaurant there. So could you talk a little bit about the, the Portuguese presence? in South Carolina? Well, I can. So let me say this, that uh, judges in South Carolina, trial judges, they ride what's called the circuit. So we're all over the state. So that doesn't mean I stay in Charleston. I can go from circuit to circuit. And I have spent a little bit of time up in the Myrtle Beach area holding court. And there is a growing presence of Portuguese people in that area. It's, it was a new, it was new information for me. I certainly didn't know that. There is a Brazilian community here locally in the Charleston area, as well as in Myrtle Beach that is growing. I think what happened in 2008 was there was a, a big, strong Brazilian community, but because of what happened economically, a lot of people just went back to Brazil. And so that is now changing again. There's definitely an established presence. And so that's nice to see. I'm not aware of a Portuguese restaurant. So if there is one, I need to know. <laughs> I will I will look it up and I will send it to you for sure. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, but we are seeing some Brazilian restaurants, which is nice. And especially for me, because my family is so intertwined, both sides of my family are, are deeply connected to both countries. So um, it's, it's great. 
Yeah. So we have um, one of our members is uh, moving down there uh, to get his PhD. So we'll have to have, once he's there, we'll have to get him to coordinate a, uh, you know, a get together or mixer or, you know, to bring everybody together. That would be, that would be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll have, I to, would love that. We'll have to figure out how to get some Portuguese appetizers there. If there's a if there's a Trader Joe's locally, I think you can at least get the Stays Nata because they're now carrying them frozen, as I've heard in certain stores. They so, certainly are. Did you get I some? Bought some. From, oh. yes, I just <laughs> bought some for my parents. That's so my, awesome. My parents, my parents just moved here a couple of years ago. They're in their 80s, and um, <clears throat> I just just got some for them on Saturday, and uh, dropped them off. But they're a lot of there are a lot of people that are moving, I think, from different areas to South Carolina. The, mm-hmm. the weather is certainly appealing. Mm-hmm. And so I I have seen a, a lot of change. Ironically, the first case I ever heard as a sitting family court judge without being under or sitting with another judge was a Portuguese woman who was coming oh. in to get divorced. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And um, she had a very Portuguese name. I don't think she was paying attention to my maiden name. Yeah. So when I asked her where she was from at the end of the hearing, she sort of gave me one of those looks of, oh, gosh, I have to explain this to her. Uh And she said, well, I'm Portuguese. And so I started speaking to her in Portuguese and she just looked completely confused. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she's, she said, I don't understand what's happening here. And I said, well, I explained it. And she said, oh, my gosh, one of us is is a judge here. I said, yes, yes. one of us. That's amazing. I love that. One of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might become yeah. a new tagline that we use. That's great. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I do have one other question when you were talking about if I may, Angela. Yeah. When you were talking earlier, you made the comment of, um, you know, sometimes South Carolina is not understood or sometimes South Carolina gets, you know, is is uh, in a national stage uh, or little state, um, uh, as you mentioned. But uh, it's, it's a beautiful state. I have had the opportunity of visiting several times and I love the state. So how is this, uh, as you said, different folks are moving into South Carolina? Uh, from different parts of uh, not just, you know, uh, of the East Coast and even probably uh, throughout the U.S. as well. How uh, has the demographics changed? Uh, have you seen it in the last uh, you know, few years in South Carolina? And how is that changing the overall uh, composition of the state? That's a great question, Denise. And um, first and foremost, the population explosion has been incredible to to witness and our infrastructure is working diligently to try to accommodate the influx of people moving to south carolina i i can't even quote the st- statistics but the people just moving into charleston on a daily basis is is pretty staggering for a very what we considered a small city, and it is still a very small city. If at least on the coast, if you think about the coastal area and how vulnerable we are to hurricanes, we're we're dealing not just with construction, we're dealing with water intrusion issues that we didn't have to deal with. Water's got to move in certain directions 
But what we're seeing is this just explosion of people from all over the place. It's changing the pace. When I first moved to South Carolina, one of the things I learned really quickly is that people move at a slower pace here. But I think that's why people move here is they like that concept of the slower pace. Now, do they know how to slow down when they get here? Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, But we're seeing a change in demographics. We're seeing a change in infrastructure. There are a lot of changes. And I think some of those are really good. What I think people from South Carolina or who have lived here for a long time worry about is changing the way people in the South um, treat one another. And there's a big focus on hospitality here. And um, I think folks worry whether that will continue, whether the pace will remain slow or whether the pace will become fast and bustled and hurried. Yeah, I think that's a a very legitimate concern uh, because that's one of the reasons people probably are moving there is because of the quaintness and the slower pace. And then all of a sudden (laughs) everybody's there now, and then it replicates the hustle and bustle. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops over time. And, you know, maybe the city can, uh, or the, the state can do its part to, I don't know what, what you would implement, but to, to maintain a certain level of quaintness. I know there's a there's a town here in California, San Luis Obispo, that uh, prohibits buildings to be taller than a certain amount so that they don't have any skyscrapers. Yes, you know, in the in the town, and so you know things like that. And they also don't allow drive-throughs in that town. So <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's they really uh, encourage people to get out of their cars and walk around the downtown and walk around, and it's and it's a a really lovely town. Um, so there are things like that that can be done to maintain the, the quaint feel. So, um, well, that wraps our time. And this has been a lovely conversation, Judge Forsyth. Thank you so much. We'll have to thank, uh, thank you Cynthia so and Manny for referring you to us, uh, two wonderful people. And so if anyone has any questions about being a judge or or about being in South Carolina, um, uh, hoping we can connect you with them and, um, you know, hope, Absolutely. hope to, uh, be in touch a lot, a lot more. And, and, um, it, it's, uh, especially, uh, around your use of Portuguese and Spanish in your career, because we're always trying to demonstrate, you know, the value of knowing another language and how you can actually use it in your career. And it's not just something to, to speak with your avaw, right? So, um, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> Although it's important to speak to your avaw. It is, uh, it is, it is. <clears throat> yes, it now is. that I'm a grandparent, yes, I think that's important. But um, I, I did have one, one very quick uh, question, if you could uh, just answer sure. for us. And that is, how do you stay connected? How do you stay connected to the Portuguese? I know you said your parents are in their eighties now and they've uh, retired in South Carolina. I'm, you know, I'm sure close to you. So, but how do you stay connected to your roots? That is a question that I get all the time from different people in different states. You know, uh, one of my challenges getting uh, staying connected to a roots, not being close or you know within an hour's drive from a traditional Portuguese enclave. You know, not being you know an hour and a half yes. from Newark or or a couple hours from Newark, New right. Jersey, or two hours from San Jose, California, or something like that. How do you do it? And uh, that 
would be, I think, uh, uh, some good advice also as well uh, for folks in other states that are uh, tr that are that have relocated and now are trying to continue with their roots. Well, I think that's where social media has been so fantastic for me, uh, especially growing up. I spent a lot of time in Newark. I had a lot of family, close friends there, my my parents' friends, and I, I had a very deep connection to it. And moving to the South, certainly that changes things. My parents go back quite frequently, although with the pandemic, that's certainly been an issue. And I worry about when they're going to be able to go and, and visit. Uh, the last time that I went to Portugal was 2014. So I'm, I'm ready to go back. Uh, but social media helps, you know, I didn't even know the depth of the Portuguese community in California until I saw these pages where I could connect and I could see what's going on there in the Portuguese community, how deeply involved they are, how deeply connected they are still the religious components to our particular heritage are still so highly valued there. And that has just been so great, you know, just to watch Portuguese church on Facebook live <laughs> right. is awesome. Yep. <laughs> Very much. And and it's, that's been my way to stay connected. I continue to try to read and understand our history and how it plays into American history. So I just try to keep educated. And, you know, I have a 12-year-old son who it's difficult to teach him Portuguese. He's learning Spanish. Mm -hmm. His Portuguese avó continues to try to speak to him in Portuguese. And I try to give him a sense of this part of his heritage, who he is, and try to show him as much as I can. Online has been so helpful in that regard. So that's how I do it. If anybody else has better ideas, I'm willing to listen and uh, I'll take any kind of info that's out there. I would agree with the online. It's a great, it's a great point, especially if you're in an area where there is not you know, a Portuguese club or anything like that. Um, and I, yes. I will say, you know, uh, we're in much the same boat with, you know, our daughter's seven and, you know, trying to get her to learn Portuguese. And we, you know, there's the Portuguese schools that are close to us are a little far away. And it's, and also with the pandemic, it's, they've been shut down. So we had to find a, a tutor online and that's been working out really well. You know, she's not super fluent, but at least we're keeping the language top of mind with her and she's learning vocabulary and things like that. So it's definitely um, helped and, you know, thank God for the internet in that regard. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Absolutely. All right. So we really are wrapping up this time. <laughs> Thanks everybody for sticking <laughs> with us. Uh, if you have not hit subscribe, please do so right now. Don't, don't wait another second and share this podcast uh, with friends and family so we can have more Portuguese Americans uh, joining in this conversation and encourage me, more Portuguese Americans to get involved in civil service and public service. And we really need a, a higher representation of Portuguese Americans in uh, appointed and elected office. So um, with that, Thank you so much, Judge Forsyth. This was awesome. Yes, it was. Uh, really, you. really hope to meet you in person. Thank you so someday. much. And uh, you know, when Palka starts to have in-person events again, uh, hope to meet you soon. And uh, thanks everybody out there for listening. And with that, have a wonderful day.
Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese-American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese-American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus at palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus. Politicus is made possible through the support of the Luso-American Development Foundation.